Greetings. It is I, the Magic Historian. Um, now, as regular viewers of the podcast might have guessed, this is not a normal episode, so I decided to do not the normal intro. Um, there is a new Magic the Gathering set on the horizon. I'm a little late to the party, I know, but the pre-releases now, um, when I'm recording this at least, so... I, it, I'm, I'm still technically kind of on time. Um, yeah. So, new Magic Gathering set, Zendikar Rising. I, uh, yeah, if you didn't know that, um, that there was a new set coming out, I suggest going to Magic's official website, um, which will be linked in the description, and you can learn more about Zendikar Rising there. So I'm a little late, I'm sorry. Uh, I just started school again, so I've been rather busy, um, but I thought I'd give my opinion on the new characters and the story, so yeah, let's, let's just jump into it. Okay, before I talk about, uh, characters and mechanics and story, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a recap, because I know for a fact that there are people listening to this podcast who don't know anything about the, uh, about all the other magic or they just know this podcast. So for people who have no idea what Zendikar is, here you go. Zendikar is first and foremost the adventure world. The original three sets were pitched as places where groups of explorers would travel across dangerous landscapes in search of immeasurable wealth. This adventure world aspect of Zendikar is expressed in the game um, through several different mechanics, including but not limited to trap spells, quests, equipment, and the new party mechanic. Um, the second and the more well-known thing about Zendikar is the land world. Um, so in, in the war, I guess, Zendikar is still a rather young world. Um, actually one of the youngest in the multiverse, probably. It's one of the most recent created. Um, and because of how new it is, the world soul, uh, on Zendikar is still very active, um, like, it's, Zendikar is the most sentient, I guess you could say, out of all the worlds, uh, and it's, it's mana is also especially strong and rich, um, this is actually pointed out several times throughout the books when referring to Zendikar, it's like this special world, and, uh, on Zendikar, the land comes alive, and it doesn't always enjoy people stepping on it, and that's why Zendikar is the land world. There is also a unique phenomenon, unique to Zendikar, called the Royal, which causes the land to come up, come alive, I guess. And it forms tornadoes, tsunamis, volcanoes, earthquakes, and if you're unlucky enough, all of them at once. This is represented through the game mechanics with uh, Landfall, Awaken, Kicker, and lots of, you know, w unnamed cycles, like um, the When Lands Attack cycle, or there was a cycle of lands that you could pay mana, and then they would become creatures until the end of the turn. And then the final thing that Zendikar is known for is the Eldrazi. They're giant spaghetti monsters from beyond time, and they live in the space between worlds, and they eat planets. We're not going to talk about the Eldrazi too much in this episode because they are no longer on Zendikar, but if you want more information on them, 
see Oath of the Gatewatch. Uh, and we will be talking about Eldrazi in the future, because they are super important, at least I believe they are. They're especially important to the Mending Crisis on Dominaria, which is still many months away. So, yeah. For more on the Eldrazi, see Oath of the Gatewatch. Uh, so, that's what Zendikar is known for. It's also home to six distinct humanoid races. At least I think it's there might be more, but these are the ones I know of. There are elves, goblins, vampires, minotaur, minotaurs, merfolk, humans, and a core. Uh, the core are the only race that should be unfamiliar to you um, because they were invented by magic. They're a MTG specific creature. So, so the core are basically like cliff elves. Uh, they're tall with light gray skin and normally pure white hair. Look at, they can also have gray. Uh, and they live on Zendikar's flying mountains. Oh, oh yeah. Um, did I, I forgot to mention, a lot of Zendikar's land floats. This is another phenomenon caused by the newness of the world. So basically how it works is there are streams of mana called ley lines that flow through the world. And uh, ley lines tend to like warp land around them or flow with the land. Um, so you can like kind of trace a path through the land. It's best seen through rivers. Like a ley line tends to follow the path of a river or a river follows the path of a ley line. But uh, yeah, anyway... The ley lanes also flow through the air, and so the mana is strong enough where, like, the lands float around these ley lines. So that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, so I, I think that's it. I didn't miss anything, I think, hopefully. Uh, if I did, let me know in comments or email me. I have the email for the, the podcast down in the description. So, uh, at the time I was writing the script, there were three side stories and three main stories. Uh, there are now two more stories out. I've read them already. There's one main story and one side story. But the three main stories end with where the trailer was. Uh, the trailer for the new set, Zendikar. So, yeah, that's, where I, that's what I'm going to do. Just the first three main stories. Um, and spoiler warning, obviously. So also in Zendikar, there are 17 legendary creatures, three planeswalkers, and two legendary artifacts. So far, only four of the legendary creatures have actually really showed up in the main story. Wait, it might have been five, but very briefly. So I'm only going to talk about um, the four that, that actually show up, and then I'll talk about the three planeswalkers and only one of the legendary artifacts, um, because it's... The other one isn't really relevant to the story so far. If you want to learn about the rest of the legends, there's an article called The Legends of Zendikar Rising, which I recommend. It goes into a little bit of detail on all the legendary creatures. And so the four legendary creatures I'm going to talk about are Akiri, Fearless Voyager, Kaza, Royal Chaser, Aura, Skyclave, Herophant, Heriophant, we're going to go with that. Uh, and Zareth San the Trickster. In the lore, these four are a legendary adventuring party, and this is reflected in-game by each of them being a different party creature type, and those creature types are warrior, wizard, cleric, and rogue. 
Oh, I didn't talk about the new party mechanic. Maybe I should take a pause and do that. Did I not talk about that? Oh, I guess not. I guess I missed that. Okay, well, I'll I'll talk about that real quick. Um, and then I'll get back to the legendary creatures. So, there's two returning mechanics, Landfall and Kicker. Um, Landfall and Kicker, you should, you should know already. If you don't, look it up. I'm not really here to explain that. I'm here to talk about the new mechanics. Um... Oh, I wasn't talking about them because... No, I'll talk about them. It's fine. Yeah, so there's two new mechanics. There's modal double-faced cards. Um, so on these, one side of the card is a spell and the other side is a land. I have nothing to say. It's cool. I like it. But it has no real relevance to the lore other than lands matter. Um, the other one is the party mechanic. This is super flavorful and... Uh, also will probably tie into the D&D set that comes out next year. So basically, a party is is four creatures, uh, one of each of the creature type types, warrior, wizard, cleric, and rogue. And you can have up to four creatures in your party, and there are cards that care about that. Uh, very flavorful, very cool. Definitely tying into the adventure aspect of Zendikar. So that's cool. Yeah, back to, to my actual script. Right, so so each of the legendary creatures that I'm going to talk about are a different creature type. Warrior, Wizard, Cleric, Rogue. You can probably guess um, who each of them is by just their names, but I'll, I'll give you a hint. Zareth the Trickster is not a warrior. I actually don't really have anything else to say about these four other than... Um, it, it's interesting that none of them contain green. They're all white, blue, black, and red, or a, a combination of those, I guess. And it just, like, lands is the green thing, so it's interesting that, like, Zendikar has always been associated with green, uh, at least in my mind. So it's it's interesting that the big party isn't doesn't have any green. Okay. Next is the Planeswalkers. So we have three returning Planeswalkers. This time, no new faces. Um, so there's Nissa Ravain, the World Waker. Jace Bellerin. Bellerin. I've never actually had to say that out loud before. Bellerin. Bellerin. The Mind Mage. Uh, he is a Mind Mage. Jace Bellerin, the Mind Mage. And Hiri, the Lithomancer. And a Lithomancer is like an Earthbender. Now, I'm going to assume that you don't know who these three are. I know there are people who listen to the podcast who don't know, so I will explain. Nyssa is an elf from Zendikar. Zendikar is the plane that this set is set on. I, w- I thought that would be obvious, but, you know, just in case. Um, she became a planeswalker when she accidentally set an Eldra- Eldrazi Titan free. Uh, there are three Eldrazi Titans. Um, and they are the leaders of the Eldrazi, which are the spaghetti monsters from space. So, yeah, she's, she set one of the Eldrazi Titans free, and that ignited her spark. And then she accidentally let the other Eldrazi free, and they started trashing her home and killing all her friends. So Nyssa, in a desperate attempt to save her home, teamed up with three other planeswalkers, including Jace, but we'll get to him in a minute. Uh, and together, the four planeswalkers made a super team called the Gatewatch, and then they killed the spaghetti. Mo- I mean, Eldrazi. 
Then they went on to have many more adventures, until Nyssa eventually left the team and returned to her homeworld, Zendikar, which was still recovering from the recent space monster attack. Uh, and that actually brings us new to Nahiri, uh, who is a core planeswalker, also from Zendikar, and she is on Zendikar for the same reason Nyssa is. She wants to heal the plane. So she is several thousand years old, and is the reason the Eldrazi were on Zendikar in the first place. You see, Nahiri and two of her planeswalker friends thought that the Eldrazi were like a threat to the multiverse, so they led them to Nahiri's home world and trapped them beneath the earth. Then Nahiri left Zendikar for a while and uh, got trapped on a different world. Then the Eldrazi escaped and she wasn't there. Now she has returned to Zendikar and seeks to heal it using the power of the Lithosphere, but we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, the last planeswalker is Jace Bellerin. He doesn't have much to do with Zendikar, other than he helped fight uh, or fight off the Eldrazi the first time, and he's friends with Nyssa. Okay, so, so uh, real quick before we get started with talking about the story, I wanted to address Nyssa's color change. So, for those of you who don't know, Nyssa has been mono-green for a long time, um, up until a set a few years back, I think three now, called Amonkhet, and there Nyssa gained blue mana as well, so she was green and blue. And I, I really liked green-blue Nyssa, I think she was cool, but then the next time we saw her, she was back to mono-green, so, so that was kind of weird. And then in this set... She's now green-black. And I like green-black Nyssa. I've, I've always actually liked Nyssa as a character. Or at least I like new Nyssa. I don't like old Nyssa as much. Um, she's kind of generic. I'll talk about that at some point, but not in this episode. But, like, green-black Nyssa from a design perspective is really interesting because um, she interacts with lands on the battlefield and then she can also get them out of the graveyard, which is very flavorful for a set all about Zendikar rising from the ashes, that the main planeswalker uh, associated with Zendikar brings lands back. So, yeah, that's cool. However, like, black-green Nyssa fits less with the the lore, so that's not as good. Nyssa has always been a character very focused on growing things, I guess, and, like, life, yeah, life, life and nature... You know, she's an elementalist. How do you say that? She makes land come alive. She makes elementals. Um, but, like, green and black together are all about the circle of life, which would be an interesting direction to take Nyssa. That would be, like, accepting that what happened to Zendikar is bad, but also new life comes from death. So that would be cool. Oh, and then actually there is one more thing talking about green-black Nyssa that I wanted to talk about. And that is Omnath. Omnath is so cool in this set. I love his art, too. It's great. It's some of my favorite art, actually. The alternate art, Omnath, is so cool. I've made it my background, or the wall... I made it wallpaper. My wallpaper for my computer, because it's so cool. What was I talking about? Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, Omnath is a massive elemental that first appeared in the original Zendikar sets. And each time it's appeared since, it's gained an additional color. So the first time it appeared, it was green, 
uh, and then it was green, red, and then green, red, blue, and now it's green, red, blue, white. Um, and this is so cool and also ties into a overarching theory I have about how the multiverse works. And I th I'm pretty sure Omnath is the soul of mana on the plane. Um, I talked about soul, the, the soul of mana uh, briefly, I think, in a previous metaphysics episode. But I'll explain it again, um, just to be safe. So on, on every plane, each color of magic or type of magic, uh, which is white, blue, black, red, green, can manifest as a physical entity on the plane. This is best seen on the Greek-inspired world of Theros, where all the gods are are different colors. There's like five one-color gods and uh, ten two-color gods, and these are the manifestations of that color on the plane because mana is somewhat sentient, or at least the multiverse is. So the the soul of all mana is is five colors. It's it's all the magic. It's the it's the source of magic on the plane. When it when it dies, all the mana starts to drain out of the plane, and then it eventually collapses. The Eldrazi actually have something to do with that as well. But that's kind of how the mending started and everything. We'll get to that later. But uh, basically, the soul of mana on a plane is incredibly important. And as I previously stated. Zendikar is a very new world, so I don't think the soul of mana has manifested yet. It kind of, it like selects a host, basically. Like, how do I... It's like its spirit travels into something. So, yeah, that's, that's how that works. On Zendikar, it hasn't really manifested yet. However, when the Eldrazi escaped, I think Zendikar was like, Oh shoot, I gotta do something. So it selected a host and began gathering mana to itself, slowly gaining colors over time. And I think this is what is happening to Omnath. I think Omnath is the soul of mana on the world, and it's slowly gathering colors to itself. And it's also interesting that the one color Omnath is missing is black. On Zendikar, the, the black creatures are vampires and demons. And when the Eldrazi escaped, their first target was actually the vampires. Uh, they corrupted them, turning them into, like, mindless flesh zombies, basically, under the control of the Eldrazi titan Ulamog. So, I think... And also, the demons had something to do with the, the, the Eldrazi escape, too. So maybe Zendikar's connection to black mana was, like, damaged in some way. And that's why... Omnath doesn't have the black mana color yet. Anyway, I've been rambling on for a bit. Um, but uh, I'll talk more about world souls or souls of mana in a, a future episode. But it's finally time to get to the main attraction of this episode, which is the story so far. Okay, so it begins with Nahiri and Nyssa, uh, which are, you know, the two planeswalkers. Um... And all around Zendikar, these massive ancient cities have been discovered, called the Skyclaves. And Nahiri knows of this powerful magical artifact called the Lithoform Core, and she believes it can stop the Royal. Remember, the Royal is like Zendikar coming alive and destroying things. But Nahiri thinks it's a sickness infecting the world. 
and she wants to stop it. Nissa wants to help Nahiri heal Zendikar, but also isn't really sure that the, the lithoform core is the right way, because it might hurt Zendikar. But she still helps Nahiri get into a Skyclave and find a key that will lead her to the lithoform core. And then after they escape the Skyclave, Nissa decides that Nahiri's strategy really isn't good at all, um, so she leaves her and goes to find her friend Jace, who is on uh, the plane of Ravnica. And Nissa asks Jace for help, but he does his usual Jace thing, which is to be unsure and indecisive. So Nissa leaves to do it herself. Meanwhile, Nahiri has decided that she can't break into the Skyclave on her own, so she enlists the help of the famous adventuring party, which is Akiri, Kaza, Ora, and Zareth, and I mentioned them earlier. They skipped over to the small continent of Morosa, and the the Morosan Skyclave hadn't been explored yet, and it was also the location of the Lithoform Core. The party plus Nahiri made their way to the ancient city and navigated the floating islands and the booby-trapped corridors till they made their way to the, where the Lithoform core was being held. Um, Nahiri removed the sphere, and then the whole skyclave started co to collapse. Plus, the royal kicked up and manifested an elemental which tried to kill Nahiri. Luckily for Nahiri, and unfortunately for everyone else, she had the Lithoform core and knew how to use it. She released a white wave of energy which turned the elemental into stone, which was good, but it also turned Zareth into stone, which was bad, because he was a good guy. And and that's it for the first three episodes of, of Zendikar Rising. Nahiri has the core, and she's going to use it to stop the royal. Meanwhile, Nyssa and Jace have teamed up to try to stop her. Oh, and one last thing before the episode ends, I said I would talk about the, the legendary artifact, which is the, the Lithoform core. Or actually, I think it's the Lithoform engine, but I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about the core. So I have two different ideas for what it could be. First, and probably less likely, is that it is a weapon Nahiri built to contain the Eldrazi. There is a piece of artwork that shows Nahiri and her two Planeswalker friends looking at giant stone Eldrazi, but I don't think this was actually, this actually, like, happened. I think it was more of a, a representation, kind of, of, of what they sort of, kind of did. Uh, it's also possible that they just turned them into stone, but I don't think that's what happened. So besides the, I just don't think it happened, there are also a, a few other problems. So first, the core is described as whispering to Nahiri, but she doesn't seem to know what the whispering is saying. Um, and the other problem is the core's location. I don't know why it would be in an abandoned Skyclave and not the Eye of Ugin, by the way, is the control center for the trap that kept the, El the Eldrazi on Zendikar. Nihiri might have given the Lithoform core to the ancient core uh, to keep safe, but the Skyclaves were destroyed, like, centuries, centuries ago, so it's, it's more likely that Nihiri only recently learned of the core's existence. The second and more likely answer I've come up with is that it was an ancient core weapon they used to keep the other races in check. In the Planeswalker Guide to Zendikar Rising, it says, and I quote, Long ago, centuries before the arrival of the Eldrazi, the core built an empire. 
Driven originally by a desire to see the world united in peace and harmony, this empire too quickly grew into an authoritarian state where the core imposed their own ideals of law and structure upon the unwilling people of other continents. This imposition, imposition bred resistance among their subjects, and they were met with increasing resistance to their rule. They became more and more oppressive and tyrannical, end quote. Uh, and then it goes on to say, and I quote, Core stone forgers built seven skyclaves, military bases, government headquarters, and small cities that floated in the sky above each continent. Each skyclave was built around a central power source like a miniature sun, end quote. The lithoform core was likely this central power source that they mentioned. Uh, I also have reason to believe that the souls of the ancient core are trapped in the lithoform core, because of all the whispering, but we're not going to get into that because this episode is already way too longer, or way longer than it should be. I think I'm at 31 minutes of recording. It's not going to be that long in the released episode, but yeah. Anyway, that's all, folks. I'll see you in two weeks uh, for the start of the Thran. Oh, wait, actually, let me let me talk about that real quick. I have been taking week-long breaks in between books, I know I haven't said that in the episodes, but that's because um, I, I pre-recorded them and stuff. So, you know, that's that's what happened, basically. So I, I take week breaks in between books. So it's going to be two weeks when the next episode comes out. So sorry about that. Anyway, that's all, folks, and I'll see you in two weeks.